0: of the Old Testament for today. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles, and when I was a kid in Sunday school, did you ever do that scripture racing? Hold your sword up and then someone give you a reference and you've got to find it. Who, whoever did that? Some of you don't. All right, you hold your Bible in your hand. Come on. If you've got a Bible, hold it up. Haggai chapter 2, Go. <laughs> <laughs> It's a little obscure one to find. <laughs> it's between Zephaniah and Zechariah. You found it? <laughs> well done. See me for a sweetie afterwards. <laughs> we are um, we are looking at the period the period known as the Restoration, uh, and I want to read to um, uh, uh, read a few verses from this prophet Haggai. And uh, if you, I I think, uh, the the verses will come back up on the screen as I go through them from time to time. We've got some accompaniment, have we? Thank you. Haggai chapter 2, verse 9, verses reads like this. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, The sea and the dry land, I will shake all the nations and the desired of all nations will come and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace declares the lord almighty and everyone said amen praise god well as we have seen and i hope you remember that little video gives you that picture of the old testament uh, god's people uh, that gradually become into this great nation through abraham then through moses then leading up to david and solomon uh, but they failed in the way that they followed god uh, they didn't follow God wholeheartedly and turned to idols, and the nation was divided and went into war. And prophets arrived that spoke of judgment, uh, and and the, the, you know this was the warning: you don't follow God, the nations will be judged. And of course, we see that happened, didn't it? That's where they went into exile. And um, <coughs> but in their judgment, there was always hope. There was this hope of what God was going to do and how He's going to. Make things better. Remember that last week as, da- as uh, Jack preached about Daniel and we just thought of that thought, and I brought it at the end, the best is still yet to come. The best is yet to come. Right? And then we always have that. That's, that's what is always progressing. We've seen that scarlet thread of Jesus through the Old Testament. Why? Because all of this, this building and this preparation of a people of God is because the king that God has in store. The Messiah, the Saviour, is coming. And after about 70 years of God's people living in exile, it looks as though some of those prophecies of hope are about to be fulfilled. King Cyrus of Persia had defeated the Babylonians and he allowed the exiles, the Jewish exiles in Babylon, he allowed them to go back their home city of Jerusalem and to rebuild their temple this period known as the post-exilic the post-exile period of restoration (coughs) it's known as that it's it's seen as a restoration they go and they go and build the city they build the temple however it's not the success that they were expecting only a small number had made their way back home and they faced great opposition. They eventually built a new temple and under Ezra the priest, and you can read the book of Ezra, that's under, his, under Ezra, the law was re-established, God's word was brought back in as the guiding rule for life. And sometime later, Nehemiah, another book in the Old Testament. Nehemiah came back and he led the people in the building of the walls, this rebuilding of Jerusalem. And it appeared as though some of these great prophecies of hope, after the judgment, this hope, it appeared that some of them were being fulfilled. However, those who could remember the good old days... (laughs) Before the exile, or at least remember what some of their grandparents had told them about it, soon realized that this new Jerusalem that they were living in that they were building was far less impressive than the old one. I wonder if we can go to the next slide hopefully we've got here this return um, of to to uh, to Jerusalem and the building of the temple and, and in a way the scene is summed up in the book of Ezra when it says many of the older priests and Levites and the family heads um, they, who had seen the former temple, they had been there, they'd seen the way it was before, they wept aloud as they saw the foundation of the te- new temple being laid. You see they knew in their heart of hearts that this wasn't the new temple that the prophet Ezekiel had prophesied about. And we haven't really looked at that. But he made this grand prophecy of this great big temple, this amazing thing that God was going to build, and this was what going to be wonderful. But when they got back into their land, Ezra leads them, in, in, and during that time, he says, the older people were weeping because they were mem- remembering how it was back in the day. Ezekiel had prophesied a temple that was going to be better than Solomon's. And did you know the book of Nehemiah, which is kind of halfway through the Old Testament, is actually chronologically the very last book of the Old Testament, if you put it in a time scale. And the book of Nehemiah, you see, the temple had been built, Jerusalem had been rebuilt, But Nehemiah doesn't end in in this sense of hope. Nehemiah ends with this place of disappointment because Nehemiah laments because the people have gone back to not following God's ways and listening to God's word again. God's law was being disobeyed. During this whole time of restoration, three prophets spoke into the lives of these returned people there is Haggai there is Zechariah and there is Malachi all three fairly short books at the end of the old testament and their message well it been pretty much similar to the prophets had come before judgment is there for those who disobey God who don't follow God's way but however they also spoke of that hope so even though they had, they had hope that had been realised in the fact that some of them had come back into their God-given land, there was still more hope for the future because each of them pro- promised that God would bless the people and keep all His promises. Even though spiritually speaking, God's people had, um, well, they were back in the land that God had promised. They were having the word of God restored in their lives. They had the temple and its practices restored in their lives. And yet God's kingdom had not yet come. One simple reason why God's kingdom hadn't yet come because God's king hadn't come. Remember the last phrase in that little video clip. There was 400 years of silence, prophetic silence. That's that gap, that's that page that happens between the New Testament and the Old Testament. 400 years God didn't speak to his people. So I had to hold on to what God had said. You ever been in that position, you're looking for, Lord I long for you to speak to me and you don't feel as though you're hearing anything, you don't feel as though you're hearing God say anything personal to you. Well you hold on to what he has said. And as we come back to the Bible, I'm not looking for, Lord, if there's a fresh word for me, great, but you have given me this. I'm going to hold on to every word you have said. The last of these prophets would speak of the Messiah coming. You see, it was Jesus, wasn't it? Jesus then in the New Testament I mean next week is Pentecost and then we're going to get into the New Testament and it's the beginning of the gospel it's the beginning of this grand, grand great news of Jesus Christ as the Savior and what is the first words of Jesus he comes in and he declares the kingdom is here why? because the kingdom was in him he was to share it with others he said they have been looking for it it'd been building up Even through their disobedience, they're looking for this kingdom. God's going to be God's people in God's place with God's presence, God's power and God's king. They're still waiting for the king. Malachi insists though, this king, this messiah will come. In Malachi chapter 3, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Who's that? That's John the Baptist. The messenger who came and prepared the way. And then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant, whom you desire, will come. That's Jesus. So, we're going to be celebrating Christmas in a few weeks' time. <laughs> we got Pentecost. And then we're going to have John the Baptist, and then it's going to be Christmas. <laughs> so, you know, we're at worship leaders' meeting yesterday. So, we have some Christmas carols. <laughs> I don't know. Whoever's leading? (laughs) But I want to tell you that the theme through this time of restoration is one of disappointment. Disappointment. This may be the nation coming back together, but it's not what we thought it was going to be. It's not what it used to be. Disappointment and discouragement ran right the way through the people of Israel, or the Jews as they were called then. Actually, let me take you back to one of Charles Spurgeon's sermons when he spoke on this very passage. I think we might have some words on the next slide. In 1886, the great Charles Spurgeon preached on this passage that I've read to you this morning. And he began his words, he started this, Satan is always doing his utmost to stop the work of god he hindered the jews from building the temple and today he endeavors to hinder god's people from spreading the gospel he goes on a spiritual temple is to be built for the most high and if the evil one can delay its uprising by any means he will stick at nothing he is very cunning and he cares little how he works so long as he can hurt the cause of God. You see, we're in a spiritual battle, just as they were then. <clears throat> God is moving through his people and he wants to build his kingdom. He wants to build through his purposes through a chosen people. But there is an enemy who wants to crush it. And Satan's desire is always to hurt the cause of God and he has many weapons in his armory. He sometimes uses greed. He sometimes uses anger. If he can get the people of God to come against each other, he will do. He'll use malice. He'll use false accusations. Another time he'll use lust. Another time it may be evil desires. Another time it may be seeking revenge. And he'll get God's people, instead of building together, to fight one another in a destructive manner. But I want to tell you that actually... Of all his weapons, there is none sharper than discouragement. If Satan can get God's people discouraged, disillusioned, feeling despair, the battle's his. people of Israel they've been allowed to return to their home they've begun to process of rebuilding the temple they worked hard at it but then they stopped after a short period just simply because of the opposition that they faced by the then Samaritans that were in the land for 16 years they stopped building the temple 16 years In a couple of weeks' time, I will have been here for 14 years, going into the 15th. Fancy that we didn't do anything for that period of time. 16 years, they didn't build the temple. It remained unfinished. And then God sent, raised up a prophet, this man Haggai, to call the people back to their work of rebuilding this temple. And they responded to God's prophet. And they began to build again. Do you know how long they lasted? One month. One month. That is how, that's how quickly it takes to get discouraged. One month. If you study the book of Nehemiah, you'll realize that actually, um, when, they, when Nehemiah got the people to start rebuilding the wall, everyone was up in favour it. After 32 days, I think it was, they wanted to give up. What was that? One month. How we can be broken so easily. They were disappointed and they wanted to quit. They were discouraged. Things weren't the way it used to be. So Haggai writes this prophecy, speaks this out and it's written down to challenge them and to encourage them to carry on. And I think that's a message that all of us could do with hearing today. See, I want to ask you a question. When you read all these stories... <clears throat> Particularly, this this passage and this this era, this period of history in the nation. Then I want to ask a simple question for us. Do you ever get discouraged? Are you ever disappointed with the church? Disappointed with the ministry that you're involved in? Anyone uh, going to join me? I get discouraged. I get disappointed. I think we all do. There are times when disappointment just looms up over us like some high, impassable mountain. How am I going to get over this? And if we're not careful, our disappointments can derail our lives and cause us to lose faith and lose focus. And if we're really not careful, that disappointment can even cause us to want to quit on God. You ever been there? I want to look at some of these words of, of Haggai that he shared with this nation during this time of discouragement and disappointment. So let's first start looking at the causes of disappointment. The causes of disappointment. You see, their reasons for being disappointed were many, but most of them revolve around one thing. It revolves around a bad memory. Disappointment always involves our memory in one way or another. Memory can be a blessing. And it can be a curse. And the Jews, you see, were guilty of focusing on the negative and forgetting the positive. Of course, no one here has done that, have they? (laughs) Focused on the negative and forgotten the positive. That's what they were doing in their collective memory as a nation, that's it. Memory was heavy burden and it was hindering their progress. Let's just think about what the things that were in their memory there were things that they, they, they remember Haggai asked a question who, left, who is there left among you who saw this house in its first glory can you remember the temple that Solomon built He's saying. some of you do Solomon's temple had been destroyed and there were some people who had seen it. They remembered the magnificence of Solomon's temple. They remembered the the majestic, the, the sheer glory of it, the wonder and the majesty of this temple that Solomon got built. It's gold covered walls and everything. They would remember the days when the glory of God had fallen into the temple so much that the priests couldn't get in and do their work. They would remember the days where their praise was just flowing out of the temple. Boy, do you have memories like that? You ever been at a rally or a meeting or in a church and you can have a memory like that? Wow. I do. I want to pray, I pray to see it experience it again every week. Well, they look back and they were remembering And then they looked at the building they were building this new temple and it seemed a bit of an embarrassment. It seemed small and shabby compared to the great one that Solomon built that had got destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. And they were remembering the past which is not always a bad thing, don't get me wrong but they chose to live in the past which is always a bad thing. It's never good. All they could consider was how things used to be. Very little interest in how things were now. Some of you have been around a lot longer than me. I've been around in churches for quite a while. been the pastor of this church, as I said, for nearly 14 years. Some of you have seen tremendous changes... Over that period of time, not just the 14 years. Some of you, you know, we were saying about Jeanette, who was a member here from way back in 1947. Tremendous changes in the church. Isn't it? You can look back and look at different days of what it was like. And sometimes we're so tied to the past that we lose interest in the future and what's, what's really happening right in front of us now. Can I say something? Don't be those who want things the way they used to be. Take an interest in the way the things might be. Memory is a good thing if we remember the right things. But when we hold so tenaciously to the past... We re, and we might just refuse to be serving God in the present, because we're remembering the wrong things. I look back on other posts I've had, and I remember the good things. Talking with Jack, when was it, when was it, wherever he's gone, <laughs> yeah. run away. Isn't he? <laughs> I've got the baby. Talking about the back. Talking with Jack on Friday, I remembered some of the roles I did when I was a youth evangelist. When I was at working at a really big church in London, and oh, I remember the great things that happened. You know, actually, when reality strikes, you rem- you know you need to put your take your rose-tinted spectacles off and put, you know, see with with 20 vision and remember some of the tough times and the difficult bits and the bits you hated and some of the awkward people. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't as great as it used to be. <laughs> we only remember the. <coughs> causes of disappointment is because certain things we remember but also causes disappointment are the things we forget verses 4 and 5 in, in, uh, in this uh, passage God reminds them that he was the one that was with them in the past he was there when they crossed the Red Sea he was there during the glory days of, God's, of, of Solomon's temple he had always been there standing on every promise that he'd ever delivered. The problem was that the stories from their past had just had become just that, stories. They'd lost their real meaning and their real impact in their lives. And they thought that the glory days of the past and the God who was there to bless them somehow had gone. And God has to tell them, He's still here. What does He say? My spirit remains among you. God is saying, I am here, just like I have always been. Think about what he's saying. Abraham is gone. Moses is gone. David is gone. Solomon is gone. The temple's gone. But I'm still here. Isn't that what we need to hear? God is still with us. When you're going through times of disappointment and discouragement, we need to recognize God is still here. They looked at Solomon's temple and remembered its grandeur and its majesty and they looked at the one they were building and thought, how pathetic. (laughs) They were discouraged by it. They couldn't see that God doesn't see the difference. He's not concerned about the external glory of the house. This new house they were building then was just as much his house as the grand temple had been. It wasn't about what they used to have. It was about, and it always has been about, God who dwelt amongst them. That's the important thing. God is here. You know, when you meet as a church, God doesn't dwell in a building. Dwells in us. You read your New Testament, when we get on to the New Testament, you know, what's the temple that God builds? It's us. It's not made of bricks and mortar. It says the best is yet to come because there's a temple that is going to be bigger and better, he's saying, than anything that you can build. Don't be intimidated by the circumstances. God has not left us. His spirit is still here. His power is the same. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. And we need to remember that because God doesn't dwell in the bricks and mortar. He dwells in us. We are that temple today. Far too often we get caught in the same trap and we're looking at the way things used to be and forgetting that... The God of yesterday is still here and is able to bless. And our duty is to forget the past and reach into the future. Read it, if Paul, Paul wrote it in Philippians 3. Forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead, I press on. Yes, you can learn from the past, the good things and the bad things. But we don't go back to the past, we press on. There's a future. The best is still to come. God stands ready to bless us today just as he did years ago. And he's not going to leave us, he's not going to forsake us. And our concern is to remember what life is really about. It's about him and his glory as we live for him. So fix our eyes on Jesus. So we remember things, but we forget things. But thirdly, the cause of this. Of dis- Disappointment and delusion in that sense is we compare things. God asked them this question: How does it look to you now? Does it not not seem like nothing? I mean, if I asked you a simple question: How does Weymouth Baptist Church compare to St Paul's Cathedral? It 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 looks like nothing. How does Weymouth Baptist Church compared to the church Jonathan and I preached in when we were out in the Philippines that consisted of two trees and a light that, a line that strung along so that they could hangle some fairy lights on and that's that was the church. It might seem like nothing, but God is there. When God's people gather together, whatever the place is, that's where God is, isn't it? We make comparisons. The old people wept when they saw the new one because they remembered what the old one was like. And if we're not careful, we get into that comparison game. And I say, I think I've probably mentioned this, I don't know how many times in how many sermons, but when we start comparing, we're on a wrong track. And we can start comparing, and we can play this game, we can compare our husbands. Oh dear. If only my husband was like Paul. If only my husband was like the pastor. (laughs) Or we compare wives. Well, she used to be like this. Why can't she be like that again? Or why can't she be like her? We compare children. Why can't my kids be like theirs? Then we compare ministries. Why can't I have the success that that one's having? We compare church. Why can't our church be like that church? That one down the road. We compare it to them. Or we compare it to the one we, we once knew. That we used to be at. See, making comparisons is a dangerous game. Only God can truly make the right kind of comparisons. When we remember the past as being better than it was... Then actually, the present seems worse than it is. Who's, who's seen the film Sea Biscuit? Anybody seen that film Sea Biscuit? One. Well i 'm going to tell you about Seabiscuit. Then. That's great. Sea Biscuit was a very famous racehorse in the 1930s I guess I don't know, in America. Racehorse. So fast. you know this horse, you put it on the right track, and he was almost uncatchable. Do you know what that effect this horse had? Because the trainers had to be very selective which horses they would train it with. Because the other horses lost so often when Seabiscuit was running that they, they even gave up running against him. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Oh, it's not him again. I'm not going to bother. <laughs> and apparently, Seabiscuit would kind of toy with these horses, let them kind of catch up neck to neck, and then he'd just put on some speed again and leave them in the dust. So much so... That losing to such, fast, such a fast horse, time and time again, caused them to become discouraged and to give up and not want to race. The same thing happens to us when we compare ourselves. Oh no, I'm never going to be like them. Never, we're, we're never going to be like that other church. We shouldn't be making the comparison in the first place, should we? That's how that's how you get discouraged. Remember how Jesus asked Peter three times? He said, do you love me? And Peter three times says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my sheep, Jesus said. And then Peter saw John, didn't he? But Lord, what about him? You know what Jesus says? That's none of your business. (laughs) Making comparisons is not the right way. We will get discouraged if we make comparisons. You see, discouragement and despair will just drag us down. When we live in the past, we downgrade the present. And the inevitable result is we're disappointed. We're disappointed. And that will mean that we're likely then to miss what God wants to do. We're going to miss the promises that God has. We're going to miss the big things that God has in store. For Haggai, you know, in that passage it comes out in verse 9 when he, sort of, when he t- talks about the glory of the present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. Well, actually, if we start constantly living in the past, you're never going to see it. If we're not careful, we, fall, uh, we might fail to see that our greatest day, the greatest days of our lives are ahead of you. The greatest days of that ministry you're involved in might be ahead of you. Greatest days of this church might be ahead of us. Not behind us. Do we believe that? Well we need to start thinking, I've gotta, wow, well, I've gotta not get discouraged then not just look around and be disappointed and say oh well we're not the prayer house we're not the family church we're not the so and so we're not St John no no, we're here we're God's people and God's with us my spirit remains with you he said don't get disappointed don't be afraid (laughs) the best is yet to come that's what's happening in Haggai Jesus is coming Still a long way off, but the best is still coming. And if we're not careful, we can actually not only get discouraged ourselves, but we come become the source of discouragement to other people by belittling what they're doing. Belittling and, and pushing down their enthusiasm. We need to be encouragers, not people who discourage. So Many, cure, many causes of disappointment looking back remembering certain things forgetting some things making comparisons they were doing it then we do it now but what's the cure then? what's the way forward? well when you're looking at that mountain of disappointment that's in front of you there's a couple of simple steps that we can take to conquer it and they're right there in this passage as well the first one is we need to learn to let go The Jews had to let go of those memories of the past. The new temple they were building was never going to be as grand as the first one. And they just had to accept that. The past has to be relegated to the past. Hmm? If we're to accomplish anything in the present and in the future, we need to leave the past behind. that tough to hear maybe about your personal life maybe about certain ambitions maybe about certain friendships sometimes you've got to leave something behind because God's pressing you on to the future it's time to move on maybe you need to let go of a painful memory from that past maybe you need to forgive someone even though they're never going to come and admit they've done anything wrong Maybe you need to let go of that dream that's been kind of pulling you back and in the wrong direction. You see, if something is holding you back, you've got to let it go. I'm tempted to sing, let it go. No, I would not go to. I wouldn't know it anyway, apart from that line. <laughs> you know, it is hard, but there are certain things you've just got to let go. You're never going to be able to move on. They had to let go of their past. Secondly, they had to look up. People of God are called to look up. They are called to turn their eyes away from their pain and their problems and their disappointments and to view God who is greater than anything they had. I want to give you a little lesson. If you have an NIV Bible and you're reading a passage and you see the word Lord... Sometimes you'll see that it's spelt with capitals. Has anybody ever noticed that? No? Anybody ever read those pages in the preface of a Bible? No? They're really interesting stuff, you know. You've got nothing to do one day. <laughs> but you see, what it is, in this passage, six times, and I emphasised it when I was ready, says the Lord Almighty declares the Lord Almighty. Six times, God saying, remember who I am. Look up and remember who God is. The Lord Almighty. There are different Hebrew words for Lord. And one one is, yes, the Lord is about, you know, the normal Lord is God, yes. But this is the Lord Almighty. It means the Lord of hosts. The Lord of the armies of heaven and earth. He is the greatest. And six times in these few verses, God is reminding, look up and remember who I am. I am the Lord and there is no other, Isaiah would say over and over again. No one can defeat him. No one can stand against him. He is the mighty one. And that's what he's emphasizing. Look at God. When you're disappointed, is your God big enough? When God stood with David as he faced Goliath, he's the same God who stands with us when we face the problems that we will face during this week. Hmm? You see, when your God is big, your battles become small. And you need to slay those giants. Because God is with you you've got to keep your eyes fixed on him you see to the Jews in Haggai's day everything seems small God seems small where is he we, we've come back but it's not happening it's not working out where is this kingdom where's the king where's the blessing look at God when you just think about it. Who, let me ask you is your God big enough to worship is he just the God that you kind of pull out your pocket on a Sunday morning and say, oh, I'll just pop down the church. He, he might just do me a favor if I go. And as he is your God, he is the Lord Almighty, King of heaven and earth. Nothing can stand against him. My God is big. He is mighty, the Lord of hosts. So nothing is too big <coughs> for him to handle. And if you're disappointed, you need to look up. Remember I told you that experiment I did years ago? You know, I've told you, remember this? When there was a snow, field of snow? And I came through this little gate in the corner of this field and there was another gate in the other corner, pristine, covered with snow. And I gave myself a little test. I thought, I will walk across this field with my eyes closed to see if I can get to that gate. And then I can look back and see where my footsteps have gone. And I think it's a straight line, that's easy. Close your eyes. field was quite big. I'm not going to close my eyes, I'm going to fall into something. But you know, as you, you begin to think you're walking a straight line. You look back and you've wiggle woggled all over the place. Fallen in a ditch, didn't even get to the gate. That's a picture of life though, isn't it? Because you've got to keep your eyes open. Fix your eyes on Jesus and run the race that he set before you. We're not to look at our feet. We're not to have our eyes closed, we're to be looking up to our God. Disappointed people are looking at their feet thinking, oh, woe is me, I'm never gonna get there. This ministry's bad, nobody wants to come and help me. I haven't seen anybody come to Jesus recently. Maybe I'll try a different church. And we're disappointed. Forget the past. Look up. Look up. Thirdly, with the look ahead, God always sends his people forwards. He never sends them back to the past. You see, they romanticized about the past. Oh, yeah, we've all done that. We forget the future. And in these words that Haggai says, he tells them about the future. God will come and shake the nations. And that particular verse, those verses are quoted in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. uh, And there it's linked with the coming of the Messiah and how the earth was shaken when God gave the law. And the earth was shaken as Jesus came. And the earth will be shaken when he comes again. The Messiah will come one day, and this world, with all its false religions and its dead works and its ideology and its increasing sin, will be shaken to pieces. As everything, as Jack reminded us last week, last week, as everything will bow before a sovereign God. That's what is happening. This, He's putting this word to them again. I'm going to come and shake the world. You see, right now the world is in an utter turmoil, isn't it? Nation against nation, ideology against ideology. But God says, I will come and shake. And it's happened before. The Persians defeated the Babylonians. The Greeks defeated the Persians. The, Pers- the, the Romans defeated the, the Greeks. And on and on it goes. And it's still happening today. Nations are, are in... A constant state of agitation but the day will come when God will shake this world system to its very foundations and every ruler and every government will crumble and bow before the feet of Jesus Christ that's what God's word is saying so if you're not looking even to this present you're going to, what's the future hold? you've forgotten he will rule this world that mocks him What will be left on that day when he comes and shakes the earth? Only the things that cannot be shaken. The very kingdom of God, the things of God's spirit, the things of God's word, our very souls. That's worth waiting for. He also goes on, he says, and the desire of all nations will come. It's a reference to Jesus. He will come. Remember, a reminder these the beleaguered, discouraged people of God. Jesus, the Messiah, will come. It's going to be another four hundred years. It's a message to us: the Messiah is coming again. It's a future to hold on to. And then he says the latter glory will be greater than the former glory. How could that be possible? How could this puny, pathetic building of a temple that they were building possess greater glory than the temple Solomon had built? It's because God knew what they didn't know. That within a few hundred years, the very Son of God would walk on that temple stones that they planted. And you know what he would say? He would say, tear down this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days Hmm? because he's saying the stones don't matter it's in me and when they tore it down he did rebuild it in three days didn't he he raised rose from the dead and then he passed his spirit on and he said now you are that temple we are the temple of God because God's spirit dwells in us doesn't dwell in the building it's in us I need to close Another prophet, Zechariah, just in the book after Haggai, he puts, he uses these words, and he says, not by might, not by strength, but by my spirit declares the Lord. And he goes on, do not despise the day of small things. Are you feeling disappointed, feeling despair that actually some of the things you do really don't amount to much? Hmm? He me tell you, God loves to multiply the things we bring to him. Do you know the story of a little girl called Hattie Mae Wyatt who was turned away from a children's ministry in a church in Philadelphia because they were overcrowded. So that day she decided that she would start saving her pennies so the church could build some more rooms for an extended children's ministry. Two years later she tragically died her mother found by her bedside 57 pence, or cents I suppose it was, and a little note saying what the money was for. And at her funeral, the mother gave these 57 cents to the pastor for the children's ministry to expand. Pastor shared that story in his church on the Sunday morning. So moved were people that there was an estate agent in the church who gave them a plot of land for the deposit of 57 cents. And on that land, as the story got bigger and bigger and it made the press and money came in from all quarters, they not only built a children's ministry wing, they built a church that housed 3,000, they built Temple University of Philadelphia, and they built a hospital. I can't remember the name of the hospital, but it's one of the hospitals. And you can go there today and it. Why? Because someone started with 57 pence. <laughs> tell you the story of a lady I knew when I was a student pastor in East London her name was Rhoda she had taught Sunday school for about 30 years she was suffering from multiple sclerosis she was bedridden in fact she was in hospital when I went to see her so discouraged was she saying I've tried to live a Christian life and witness but I don't know if it's had any effect at all I was in tears with her at the bedside thinking what do I say I prayed for her and tried to encourage her that God was, would use it. The very next day she got a letter. letter from a woman who had gone into the ministry and she just wrote back to say I don't think I've ever told you or thanked you for helping me understand the Bible but God has used me, used you to send that on. Isn't that great? You're disappointed with what you think? I only got forgot this. What's, is, there, is, there, is that all it is? Who's heard of a man called David Brainard before? David Brainard was called by God to go and take the gospel to American Indians, Native American Indians. Uh, and he, he had really a bad health as well. And for years he had no success. In fact, he wrote in his journal, uh, My heart sunk, he said. It seemed to me that I'd never have any success among the Indians. My soul was weary of my life and I longed to die. That's how discouraged he was. In three and a half years, he'd only seen a handful of these Native Americans come to the Lord because they didn't like the way the Americans were living so kind of you know, violently and greedily. Tragically, at the age of 29, think about that. 29. David Brainard died. Hadn't seen much success. That's not the end of the story though. His father-in-law was a man called Jonathan Edwards. Great revival preacher. (laughs) His father-in-law got David Brainard's journal published. David Brainard's journal ended up in the hands of a man called William Carey. Anybody heard of him? William Carey became man who's known as the father of modern mission movements (laughs) thousands, millions people gone into that missionary movement because of William Carey when William Carey, I was asked once what inspired you to devote your life to missions he said I read the journal of David Brainard that little that he saw God multiplied isn't that great? So when we're feeling discouraged, we are to forget the past, we are to look up at our God, and we are to look forward for what God has installed. The best is still to come. They needed that in that time of restoration. Is this it? There's got to be more than this, as we've just sung, is not we? Yes, the best is still coming. Jesus is coming for them. That's why this important story is here in that sense. He then tells tell them, get to work, be strong, get to work, get up and do it. Don't get sidetracked. We all need people who are going to encourage us. That's why in those six things that we have for us as a church, you know, discipleship is about encouraging other people. Don't give up. Keep going. I want to give a testimony this morning. I know I've got two minutes left, so bear with me. You can get to your cars if you need to. I, over the 14 years I've been here, there's times when I've been so discouraged and felt so isolated and lonely at times. But you know, there are some women in this church that God uses just at that time. Margaret Best. Margaret will write a card and send to me and it always arrives on the day when I feel the lowest. That's a great ministry of encouragement. And... You're similar, Kathy, Dennis. You come and speak to me on the Sunday. You say to, out of the blue, we need to be encouragers. We need to be encouraged. Can we all do that? We may not be writing cards, but we can encourage one another. Can we? Is there a mountain of disappointment right in front of you? you find yourself wanting to look back more than you want to look forward. You find yourself making foolish and fruitless comparisons. You find yourself saying, what's the point? What's the use? I think God says to us, forget the past. Look up. Look forwards. The best is still to come. I am with you. Are you facing disappointment? One more. On the day Jesus died, he buried him three days. He rose again, didn't he? Two men were walking along the road to Emmaus. They meet a stranger in what they thought. We had hoped was their message. We had hoped that he was the one. We had hoped this would be it. And what does Jesus do? He takes them through the whole Old Testament to give them this very story that we're trying to... Why? Because he said, all of this is pointed. And then he went into the room and he shared communion, bread and wine with them, and their eyes were opened. From the place of discouragement to the place of enthusiasm and zeal. I've gone on too long this morning. I wonder if we just stand. Let's just stand here.